Good morning. Today, we will be having a sermon entitled, When God Says No. Do you trust God? Proverbs, the third chapter, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Do you trust in the Lord with all of your heart? Do you have a firm belief in the reliability and the strength and the ability of God? Do you trust that when he says that all things will work together for good, like Zoll talked about last week when he talked about Romans, the eighth chapter, do you believe that that is actually true? And you might be sitting there thinking, you know, I, 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 yes, Jeff, I, I trust God. That's why I'm here this morning. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if I didn't trust him. I believe in his word. I, I, I believe that he's going to do what he says. I trust God. But it's really easy for us to say that we trust God as we sit here this morning in a worship service. It can be easy to trust God when we're hearing something that comforts us or makes us feel good. It's easy to say that we trust God when we hear him say that heaven's going to be great. But what about when he tells us to trust him, when he tells us that the difficulties of this life are worth it? Or what about when God uses that two-letter word that no one likes to hear when they're asking for something and he tells us, no. Do we still trust him then? When I think about trust, I think about my two sons. I think about John and Luke, and I think that they trust their dad with all of their hearts. I could tell one of them, I think, right now to come up here on this stage and stand up on this podium right here, and I could stand down there and hold my arms out, and I could say, John, jump, or Luke, jump. And they would look at me, and they would jump. They would smile real big, and they would leap into my arms, trusting that their dad would catch them. Either of those boys have no doubt that I would protect them that I would keep them from getting hurt. They trust that what I say is reliable and I have their best interest at heart and that I love them. They have no doubt that I would catch them. But what if I asked Sean to come up here this morning? I said, Sean, stand right here. And and I'm going to stand down there and Sean, jump. And I'm going to catch you. Would Sean trust me? He might, perhaps. You know, Sean and I have been friends for for decades and decades. We are as close as brothers. We trust each other. I trust him with my kids. I I would trust my life with him. I trust the life of my kids with him. I I trust him to, to lead this church. He trusts me to be part of this leadership. We trust each other in those circumstances. But if I told him to stand up here and jump, and he wouldn't get hurt, would he trust me then? 
Or would he have doubts about his safety? Unfortunately, a lot of times when it comes to God, we're more like Sean in that scenario than we are like John or Luke. We trust God when we're nice and comfortable, but when it comes to those times that it takes a leap of faith, or those times when it's a little bit uncomfortable, when we're in pain or in difficulty, understanding how, how could this be for our good, during those times, we might let our trust waver. And we might, if we're honest with ourselves, begin to wonder, you know, God, God are, you really, are you really in control here? We're a lot like the children of Israel when they were wandering through the wilderness and they begin to let doubt and fear creep in. Psalms, the 78th chapter, verses 19 through 22 says, Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he spoke the rock that waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. We enter some of those times in our lives where it feels like we're wandering through the desert, where we aren't sure why God has led us into the wilderness, and we begin to wonder, God, do you really know what you're doing here? Is this really in my best interest? And I think that's especially true during those times in our lives when God does what any good father is supposed to do. And sometimes he tells his children no. It's amazing to me to think that an all-powerful God loves me enough to take my prayers into consideration. That he listens to me and he weaves my prayers into his, into his providential plan for my life and for his people. And there are so many times in my life that I pray for things and God has listened to my prayers and he's provided me what I have asked. But also, God loves me enough that there has been times in my life where he has heard my prayers and the answer to those prayers has been no. Not because he doesn't love me, but because that's what's best for me. You know, John and Luke, they ask me for things all the time. You know, John will come and and ask for ice cream every night at about 8 o'clock after dinner. He comes and he asks his dad if he can have ice cream. Luke asks for toys. Luke asks to go play in the garage with me. They want to go outside and play, and lots of times I'm able to give them what they ask for. But there are times... That, that they ask for something and they might hear what they don't want to hear and dad has to tell them no. And there are times that I have to do that if I'm going to be the father that they need. Not because I don't care for them, not because I don't want them to be happy, not because I don't love my sons, but because there are times that John asks for something or Luke asks for something and it might not be in their best interest. Or because dad knows better what they need. And there are times when our Heavenly Father must say to us, no. And that can be hard. That can be incredibly difficult. It can be hard when we're going through times in our life that are tough. Times that are confusing. Times that are challenging. And we pray to God to change our circumstances. To remove some burden from our life. Or to give us something that we desperately, desperately want. And then the answer to that prayer 
is no. That can be difficult, so difficult. And as children of God, we must trust in God that when he tells us no, it's in our best interest. That he knows what he's doing. That even when God tells us something that we don't want to hear, or he doesn't give us something that we think that we need, that his no is what is in our best interest. So this morning, I want for us to spend the rest of our time looking at four reasons that God tells us no. Look at four different people in the Bible that God told no to and see how we can trust God even when the answer to our prayers is no. The first reason that God says no that I want for us to look at is that he says no to allow us to face the consequences of our actions. It's important to remember a quote on what God's providence is by a man named Homer Haley. He said, Providence is the working of God through his provision in the natural and spiritual realms, and yet it is a control that violates neither the sovereignty of the human will nor the divine, natural, and spiritual laws. God is in control. He is working in your life and in the lives of his people and in the world today, but his control does not violate our free will. We still have the power to choose, and often we use that ability to choose to make decisions that go against God's will. And God allows us to face the consequences of those, those decisions. And we can look at the life of David, a man who, said, who was said to have a heart after God's own heart. A man who loved God, but someone that God allowed to face the consequences of their decisions. In First Chronicles, the 28th chapter, we find David telling the story of when he prayed to God that he could build this great temple for God. But God says no. God tells David that he can't build the temple because of the choices that he had made earlier in his life. In 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, we find the story of David and his child. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had orchestrated the murder of Uriah. And the result of those choices was that his child was going to die. And David prayed, David fasted, he begged God to spare the life of that child He pled with God to not allow that child to die. And God said, no. And so often in our life, we want to live however we want. We want to live and do the things that we think are going to make us happy. And often when we're younger and sometimes when we're older... We want to sow our wild oats, and, and, and I've heard Clyde say this a thousand times when he's preached. We, we want to sow our wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. We want to make a choice but not live with the consequences of those choices. But God loves us so much that he gave us free will. A free will that we can choose to serve him or a free will that we can use to, cho- to serve ourselves. And part of that deal, that offer of free will, is that we must face the consequences of those decisions. We might 
earnestly pray to God to give us wisdom and faith. That's something we often hear in our prayers here during the worship service, and, and, and I'm sure that many of us pray for those things in our private prayers. We pray for faith and for wisdom, right? But if we choose to ignore His Word and not spend time studying His Scriptures, then we, He will allow us to face the consequences of a weak and a shallow faith. We might pray to God and ask that we someday be appointed to a position of leadership in the church. We might pray that that God allow us to be appointed as an elder or a deacon, but if we choose to live lives that are contrary to the qualifications set forth in Scripture, then the answer to that prayer will be no. Because those are the choices that we made and the consequences that we must face to those choices. If we choose to break the law... We might find ourselves sitting in the back of a squad car or sitting in an interrogation room or a jail cell or standing before a judge and we might pray to God to deliver us from that, but the answer to that prayer might be no because we must face the consequences of our decisions. If we choose to do things that are contrary to the will of God, He allows us to suffer the consequences like it talks about there in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. But that no, even when we're facing those consequences, doesn't mean that He doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that He doesn't care for us. It means that He loves us enough to give us the power to choose. The second reason that God says no is that God wants to change us. In 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verses 7-10, through 10, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for, me, for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul tells about a time in his life when he got down on his knees and he begged God. He begged Him to remove this thorn in his flesh, the thing that was given to him to torment him. And he begs God three times to remove his thorn, but each time the answer to that prayer was no. Has that ever been you? I'm sure it, it has at some point. I know that it has been the case in my life. I have asked God to remove some test or some trial from my life to make it go away so that I wouldn't have to deal with this struggle or this temptation or this, this test or this season of my life or the thing that I was going through. And I'm sure that's been the case for all of you. But notice what Paul said about this thorn in the flesh. He says in verse 7 there that God allowed for this thorn in Paul's flesh to be given to him and to remain with him so that Paul wouldn't be puffed up with pride. God told him no. God told him that this thorn would would remain not because God was punishing him, 
but rather that God saw that Paul needed discipline and change in his life. So often, we get this idea of what happiness is in our lives, or what we think happiness looks like or should look like for us in our lives. We think that happiness is a four-car garage, you know, attached to a 5,000-square-foot house with a with a six-figure salary, with a, with a bank account that's full of money, and we think that if we can just get those things, if we can just have those things in our lives, then finally we would be happy, right? We deserve the luxury car. We deserve the fancy vacation. We deserve all of these things that we see people posting about on social media. We deserve to have those things in, in our lives. And if we don't have those things, we think that we're not happy, Right? We think, well, why don't I have all the things that everyone else has? We think that we need those things in our lives. But really, the things that we think that are needs are just wants. And God has never promised us that he will give us what we want. But he has, as it talks about in Philippians, the fourth chapter, he will provide us what we need. And God's purpose for our lives isn't to make us happy according to the world's standard of happiness. Rather, His purpose for our lives is to be a disciple of Christ and to be, to be transformed into a holy vessel for His service. 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 15-16 through 16 says, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and strive to follow in His steps and be transformed into this holy vessel for God. To change us, not just for the sake of change, but to change us into a suitable place for Him and His Holy Spirit to come and dwell within. And at times, that process of change, that process of shaping and forming us can involve tests and trials and thorns that might not feel comfortable at that time. C.S. Lewis once said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought that you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace a palace that he intends to come and live within himself. God wants to change you, to transform you into a dwelling place for his spirit. That is the purpose of your life, not to make us happy according to the world's standard of happiness. And that is not to say that God doesn't want you to be happy. He does want you to be happy but he wants for the source of that happiness to be the only real source of happiness. And that is him and in his will. 
And if we'll draw close to Him and follow His will for our lives, then we will find a source of peace and joy and true happiness that will carry us through this life. It will lead us through those trials and troubles and thorns. It will change us and it will mold us into the image of Christ. And it will eventually lead us home to heaven. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Let's read a passage that we find in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 5 through 11. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our own profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. God allows us to go through trials and pain, not to harm us, but to train us. I discipline my sons, not because I want to hurt them, but because it's my job as their father to mold them into the boys and eventually young men that God wants them to be. God disciplines us through His Word, but He also disciplines us by what we go through in life. And we should view these times that God tells us no, not as a rejection by God, but rather Him providing us an opportunity to be changed into the image of His Holy Son. The third reason that God says no is because God's timing is different than ours. You know, we live in a society and in a time where we are conditioned to receive whatever we desire whenever we want it. We no longer have to wait to fulfill our desires. If you want a meal, you can't go to Chick-fil-A this afternoon uh, because it's Sunday, but if tomorrow during lunch, if you wanted to go to Chick-fil-A, you could go to Chick-fil-A. You can go through the drive-thru and get lunch whenever you want, right? You don't have to go to your kitchen and cook. You can go through a drive-thru and get lunch. If you want to listen to a song, you can go. You don't have to sit on the, the, by the radio waiting for a certain song. You know, I'm old enough to remember when you could, when you, if you, there was a song you'd like, you'd have to sit by the radio with a tape in there and be ready to press record when the song you wanted to hear finally came on. And you'd hope you'd catch the beginning of it and not too many commercials so you could have it, right? Kids don't have to do that today. They can go on iTunes. They can go on Spotify. They can listen to any song they want whenever they want, right? I spent three years of my career at FedEx engineering a delivery service where you could have anything practically delivered 
to your house in two hours. If you wanted tires, you could have tires delivered from Discount Tire to your house in, in two hours. You could have cakes or auto parts and all these different things delivered immediately in two hours all the way across town, right? You didn't have to wait for things. We don't have to wait for stuff like that. Information is at our fingertips. You could go and you could Google just about anything you want and find information. You don't have to wait to, to find out and to research things anymore. And this attitude of instant gratification has in many ways extended into our spiritual lives. We expect for God to grant our wishes and our desires at the snap of our fingers. We pray to God to give us something, to do something in our lives, and we hope, rather it's probably more appropriate to say, we expect for God to give us those things immediately. And, then when, and when that doesn't happen, we become bitter, and we begin to think that God's not listening to us. But it's important to realize that God's timing isn't the same as our timing. It's interesting to look at the story of Lazarus in John, the 11th chapter. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. He and Mary and Martha were some of the closest friends that Jesus had during his earthly ministry. Christ loved Lazarus dearly. And one day, Lazarus became gravely ill. And Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. They knew the power of Jesus. They had seen Him perform miracles. They knew He had the ability to save Lazarus. So they plead for Him to come to Bethany to save their brother. But what does Jesus do? Does Jesus go immediately? Instead, we're told in John the 11th chapter, in the 39th verse, that He waits four days to arrive in Bethany. He waits so long that by the time Jesus and the disciples arrive in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Mary and Martha pled with Jesus, but Jesus' answer to their plea was, No, my timing is different than yours. Was it because that Jesus didn't love Lazarus? Did he not love Mary and Martha? Absolutely not. He wept at the grave. Was it because he didn't want to save or wasn't able to save Lazarus? Certainly not. Jesus could have gotten there whenever he wanted, and he could have saved Lazarus from dying. But God's timing was different. If you look back at the fourth verse of John, the 11th chapter, it says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus waited. His timing was different, not because he didn't care, not because he didn't love them, not because he didn't want to provide them with what they asked for. They wanted him to restore Lazarus, and he certainly did that. He raised Lazarus from the dead, but he waited to accomplish God's purpose in his life and in the life of Lazarus. We might pray to God to give us a wife or a husband to spend our life with. But that might not happen immediately. We might pray to God to give us a child, but that might not happen immediately. 
We might pray to God to heal our bodies or to remove something from our lives. And that might not happen immediately. We might pray to God for justice, to right some wrong. And and that might not happen immediately. And the truth of the matter is, those things might not ever happen in this life. But we can trust God that he will right all wrongs. We can trust God that he provides us with a family. He will restore us, he will resurrect us, and he will bring us home to heaven. It might not happen in this life, but it most certainly will happen in the life to come. Psalms, the 27th chapter, and the 14th verses, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. God's timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways. And when he says, no, the time isn't right, we must trust God and lean not on our own understanding, but on God. And the fourth and final reason that I want for us to cover on why God says no is that he says, no, you must walk a different path. We go through life, and if you're anything like me, we have a plan for the way that we think things should go. When we're in high school, we know where we want to go to college. When we, when we get out into college, I, I never once changed my major. I never once dropped a class because I had a plan for what I was going to do, and I was going to do it. I had it all planned out. And then when I got done with school, I decided I, was, I had this plan for what I wanted to do when I moved back from school and, and what I wanted to do with my career. And, and I drive my wife crazy because I build spreadsheets and put all these things in, in, and have these plans laid out and all these sorts of things. And we plan what we're going to do. Every Monday morning, the first thing I do is that I look at my Outlook calendar on my work computer and I see all the meetings that I have every day of the week and I sort of plan out my week. And you know how often that plan actually happens like I have it planned out? Zero percent of the time. You know, we think we have this life all planned out, and so often we ask God to help, to help us carry out our plan for our lives. Proverbs, the 16th chapter and the 9th verse says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. We have our desires. We have our plans for our lives. But so often, God's plan for our life is different from what we desire and what we want. Moses had a plan for his life. But God planned for him to lead his people out of the wilderness. Saul of Tarsus had a plan for his life that he was going to go and he was going to persecute Christians. But God had a different plan for his life. They had desires for the path that their life would take, but God had different plans. Even our Savior had, at times, when he asked God for this life to take a certain path, but God told him, no, you must walk a different path for me. One lonely night in an olive grove, Jesus knelt down and he prayed to his Father in heaven. He knew what waited for him the following day. He knew the path that God wanted him to to walk. 
He knew that when the sun rose, he would be staring at a Roman cross. He even knew the necessity of him walking that path. But he kneels down and he prays to his Father in heaven, Father, let this cup pass for me. He begs God, please, if there is any other way, if there's any other path, if there's any other possible way we can do this, God, please let this cup pass for me. And God says, no. You must walk this path. And how does Jesus respond? Does he get bitter that God doesn't grant his wishes? Does he think that God doesn't love him because he puts him on a different path? No. He resolves himself to be concerned not with his own will, not with the path that he wanted to take. Rather, he says, not my will, but yours be done. And thanks be to God that he did that. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 7th verse says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right, at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ decided to walk the path that God had set before him. He chose not to carry out his own will, not to walk his own path, but he walked the path that God had for him. He carried out God's purpose for his life. And we should look to Jesus and follow his example. He endured the pain and the shame and the horror of the cross. He walked the road to Calvary. He took the path that God wanted him to take. And God's will was carried out. In our lives, we would do well to do the same. So when God asks us to carry a burden, when God asks us to carry a disease or to walk into death or to go down a certain path, we should walk by faith into whatever station or season of life we're asked to walk into and resolve that it is not our will, but our Father's will in heaven that should be done. God's providence is guiding and leading us, and we should lean not on our own understanding, our own will for this life. We should look to God and look to His Word for guidance. We must have trust in God that He is in control, and that when He tells us no, that all things will work together for good, as long as we love God, and we're following His will for our lives. But so often we are like a child. We hear the word no and we we feel neglected and we feel rejected. We throw temper tantrums and we throw fits like a child and we grow bitter at God when the answer to our prayers might be no. But we need to realize that God's no is not a rejection. It is guiding us along the path that He wants us to walk. May we have faith, may we have courage, may we have trust in God to walk whatever path His providence and His will is guiding us along. And may His will be carried out in our lives. Perhaps you're going through one of those times in your life where you feel burdened or rejected maybe. 
and you're struggling with some of these things that we've talked about this morning or going through one of these seasons in life that are difficult and you'd like the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to do that with you this morning. Perhaps so far in your life you've told God no and you haven't submitted to him. You haven't allowed your faith to move you to repent of your sins and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and submit to him in baptism. Perhaps you'd like to do that this morning. We'd be happy to do that also. If there's anything we can do for you, please come as we stand and as we sing.